Welcome to Get Real with Ralph. I am your humble host, Ralph Nudie, coming to you live from the studios of AM 1050 WLIP in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And as always, simulcast live from Kenosha to the Canary Islands, to Communist China, and all throughout the world. You can listen to us on our YouTube channel. Just go to GetRealWithRalph.com. That's GetRealWithRalph.com. A little change in our bumper music this week, if you haven't noticed. Uh, in honor of this, the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, the original Woodstock. It's going to be all Woodstock today, baby. So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a fun ride. In the studio, I have a um, very special guest, Brad Hollister, CEO of the largest, fast, uh, I'm sorry, the fastest growing company in Wisconsin, three years running one of the fastest growing companies in America. He's going to talk about how he did it. Also, former Mayor Patrick Moran is going to be here second hour to talk a little bit about how Woodstock impacted the culture. Uh, as a historian, a history teacher, and a Vietnam War veteran. How about those communists? Add it again. Check out what's going on in Hong Kong. This is a very underreported story. It's finally gaining steam out there. But for 11 weeks in a row, we have heroes, we have patriots in Hong Kong taking to the streets, demanding freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, freedom is real, and it is something people desire in other parts of the world that you can't even begin to understand if you haven't lived somewhere that's not the United States of America. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. All right, let's get real. Like that little squeak there, Brad? Well, in the studio, as always, the man behind the board that makes everything sound wonderful. We have the incredible Jim Salovich. How are you doing this week, Jim? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. How are you doing, my friend? I, you know what? It's been a great week. It's uh, it's went fast. I had a vacation the week before, right. and you're just getting dug in and and trying to get yourself back to normal after a vacation is so much work. And uh, all of a sudden, I woke up this morning and realized it's Sunday again. Time to do the show. It's crazy. I was at the uh, festival, or not festival, the state uh, county fair all day today. How was it? It was fantastic. Were you drinking a lot of beer there? No, I wasn't. Okay, we're just making sure. No, I wasn't. But, you know, ask me that on Friday night. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. I can always tell by your, I can always tell because you slur your text messages. (laughs) I'm going to steal that. 
So you did the uh, you, you did the uh, event on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, yeah last night. Last night uh, hosted uh, the third annual uh, uh, benefit for for that uh, charity. I can't remember the name of. <laughs> well, we could play a little improv game hey, here hey, and hey. figure it oh, out. Oh, that would be fun. It, that's that's my life is improv. Oh, well, you know, people real people don't realize that the only reason we improv is because we can't remember anything. Right, it's, it's, and we're lazy. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, good turnout. Uh, gave away some really great prizes. Very great cause, and uh, got a chance to do some stand up. And Dobie Maxwell was there. He did a set. Oh, so, great! Yeah, I guess we're planning a stand up show coming up. Uh, in six months, because uh, in between the annual, uh, well, what happened was Adobe uh, was supposed to come later, but he got he got a last minute gig down in Chicago, so he he was on stage around four thirty. But uh, but he to make up for that, he wants to do a a benefit in six months. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's like in between. So I better start writing some material. Well, basically, your materials. I got a lot of material today at the fair. I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna, you know, it's still a work in progress. I'm not ready to release it. I, I bunched. In, I bumped into a buddy there. I had. I had my wife and kids for a little bit, and I said, you know, we just came here to take the children to see mm-hmm. the animals, and some of the livestock too. <laughs> and uh, right? they, they erupted into laughter. I'll tell you, it is always entertaining watching the way people are willing to leave their homes. You know what? You know what's entertaining is the uh, auctioneer, that auctioner. You ever see that guy? The guy's amazing. He is absolutely amazing, and he like almost sings when he's when he's talking. It sounds like a song. I wasn't in there, but I heard him as I was walking yeah. past all the li- livestock barns. And yeah, he, he's, he's and, and they're and they're raffling, well, they're raffling whatever. They're, you know, they're all bidding on a, a duck. You know, and they walk the duck around. The duck's like, "What's going on?" You know, I mean, you know, and, and people are are bidding and bidding and bidding and bidding. I'm like, "Well, it's a poor duck." And he's like, "What?" Could you imagine being <laughs> that duck? Only $350, come on. And then to top it off, on the way there and on the way back in the uh, entertainment system in, in the old Yukon, the old war wagon, we had the kids watching Charlotte's Web. So, you know, they just couldn't get enough fare at the uh-huh. fair. They had to, uh, you know, have a little fair-themed right, uh, right. movie there. Right. It, was, it was a good time. I had a great time at the fair uh, today. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, was, I was like, oh, I get to go home and, you know, go to bed. But I'm like, no, that's right. I got a show tonight. So many things going on this weekend. The uh, Simmons Island had the uh, pop-up beer garden going on. Yeah, I stopped by there. And, uh, yeah, as did we on, on two different occasions. And they mm-hmm. had different nonprofits working, uh, tending bar for tips. And uh, I heard two different two different musical acts there because we stopped mm-hmm. two different times. And I tell you, it was it was hopping. Yeah. You had the uh, Grease and Honey outfit, the guys that own uh, Sazzy Bee mm-hmm. and the Buzz Cafe, and they're opening the new Frank's Apex. Diner was, was Frank's Diner down. was yep. there. Yep. Lot, lots of different good food. Mm-hmm. Uh the beer was was pretty good. The uh, Kings and Convicts, um, yeah, IPA. Uh, a friend of mine, Sawyer, the guy, uh, he's working promotions over there. Yeah, young it's, kid. It's called. He really, the, yeah, he's he's very good at that. They had a really good IPA there called the Kings B Word, and uh, yeah. I don't I, I think I don't think I can say it, so I'm just gonna uh, avoid it. Uh, but boy, it's good beer, really yeah. good beer. Yeah. Well, we have with us today Brad Hollister. Brad, how are you? Doing great, Ralph. I was thinking while you were talking, how long has it been since I've seen you? It's been a long time. It has been at least six months. It's been, you know, just the the last year just seems like a complete blur. Well, that's because you're working so hard, man. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give a little introduction here. Uh, Brad Hollister is the CEO of a company, uh, Madison-based company, Swan Leap. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can look it out. You can uh, go to DuckDuckGo and look up Swan Leap or SwanLeap.com and, and check it out. 
But uh, this company has been on the Forbes list of fastest growing companies in America three years running. Uh, three years ago, they were at number 55. In 2017, they were at number one, the fastest growing company in America. Mm. Uh, this year, they're in the 30s. That was, were you 35 this 35, year? 35, yep. 35, and still the fastest growing company in the state of Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, there's with every success story comes a story, comes the story of trial and error and the sweat and everything that you put into it. And I wanted to have you on the show today to tell us a little bit about your company and what it does, you know, break it down. It's a tech company, so it's a bit wonky. So we'll, we'll try and de-wonkify it a little bit for, uh, for all the regular listeners out there like me. Uh, but basically, what does your company do? Why don't we start with that? Shipping is really a hard, difficult thing for any company to do, even from Amazon all the way down to someone selling something out of their house. Um, it's a very difficult thing to do right. Mm. And I think there's been, since going back the last 30 years and looking at the, the kind of the history of trucking in the United States, it, it's really been this feeling of just get it out the door. And, and once you drop that package off at the post office or whatever, it's kind of done right. in your mind, right? But, you know, sometimes that really affects, you know, how you inter- a company interacts with their customers and, and the communication that they have, you know, with their customers and, and makes the customer want to either buy again or never buy again. And so sure. it's a difficult so thing. That, so that, that shipping experience <clears throat> is as much of the customer experience as product quality. Yeah, and then, you know, it even we, you know we've even redefined that in talking about stuff coming in, raw materials coming into manufacturers. To this point, it's been, hey, let's prepare a spreadsheet, list, what have you, and send it out to all of our vendors and suppliers, and then hopefully they will do what we thought was a good idea when we put that out a year ago, two years ago, whatever, that information. So manufacturers, uh, you know, distributors, even hospitals, anyone you can think of, just gets trucks backing up every day delivering stuff. And it's almost like a, a game of Clue every day trying mm, to figure trying out, to figure out where, the best where way does to it go? get well, your merchandise from point A to point B. That's right. And, and not only that, but once the goods show up, it's what's what what is this thing? You know, what is this order? I don't recognize this order. I mean, so we bring visibility to all of that. Okay. And and by connecting live, the companies in with their carriers um, to make live decisions with artificial intelligence. So you're using artificial intelligence to help <clears throat> companies and organizations best select uh, how they're getting their merchandise or their raw materials or the supplies from point A to point B so that you can get it there in the time frame they need it there and also save them money. Is that, that am I, yeah, am I summing that up pretty well? That's great. So it's really that shipping platform to make the best decision, um, connect in live for communication with customers and vendors for tracking, and then you know the financial piece to tie in to see did we make the right decision, did we overpay for that, shipment um, or hey we're getting audited by the customs um, agency we want to pull those customs docs I mean any of those things we have in the platform so it's complete visibility so last year in a, in a uh, September issue of uh, Inc magazine I think they basically called what you're doing the eBay of freight yeah they Is didn't it? have it right yeah, uh, I saw that, and I, I thought— Finally well, cleared that I, one up. I, 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 in, in, in my thought process, it was more like the orbits of freight or the travelocity, right? It's, you know, how many pounds, what is this, uh, where do I need to get it to, how quick do I need to get it there? Well, I mean, if you start really diving into what those systems are, like, think about it for a minute. You're only seeing the contracts that orbits could possibly negotiate. 
Okay. There's a lot of airlines that don't participate with all those platforms. Right. And, and a lot of hotel chains. And what about the boutique, boutique guys, right? The boutique um, hotels and, mm-hmm. and other agencies out there. So when you start to think about it, it's your own pipeline to unlimited options. And it's the pipeline into what you can do. And, you know, for a lot of companies, they get calls every day um, from broke freight brokers from um i used to work carriers. i used to work in freight okay freight so broker so it seems like um about every hour you get a call of this company that wants to save you exactly 20 percent uh it, it's kind of interesting right so we've kind of given that tool to the people to say hey put them all in put them all in and let them let them hash it out right and and then you'll make the right decision you'll start to see trends in service you'll find the, the cream will rise to the top with the good the good mm-hmm. providers so you, this was not your first go around at solving this need. Uh, you, you tried the first time with, with with a big chunk of your own cash to develop one that was more of a self help version of what you do now, correct? Yeah, and and really when I started looking at what a freight broker does, you know, um, in arranging transportation, mm-hmm. I started thinking, gosh, this whole thing can be automated. Sure, it doesn't need to be working like this. And I think that was probably 2012 at the time, 2013. So we put out a website that made a ton of sense and it worked it was really good um you put your freight in you could see your contracts you could see the the open capacity and now you can make the best decision the problem is it was a separate website like you know why why doesn't um you know ebay i think ebay's done some stuff actually but you know looking at the ebay thing it was kind of something you go to ebay and then start to do commerce sure in our system that we made um you had to close out the order that you had, and then you had to go to a separate website and do it. And what we found was that that was a problem. That, you know, imagine at the end of the month, you know, major, major company, you know, trying to get a thousand orders out the door. They're not going to use that. They don't care about the price at that point. Sure. So they, they, yeah. they need a problem solved and they need to solve quickly. Right. So what we've done in this kind of second go around, and we can kind of get into that story. It's a fascinating one, um, is we've automated all of that. So orders come in. We now automate, you know, we, sh- we, we hit in a small parcel shipment. We would hit post office, UPS, FedEx, speedy delivery, amongst others, and then return back the optimum way to ship it. Gotcha. And it gives yeah. you optimum way, optimum price. And does it do all the, does it do the ordering for you and does, everything? Does all of it, yep. Wow. Whole thing, yep. Wow. D- I don't know, Rogan Shoes is our first client. Rogan Shoes was your first yeah. client? No kidding. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's some people listening that have done business with the family. It's a... It's a tough door to get into for sure. They're, they really um, have, have uh, a very high standards for their vendors. Um, but, you know, it was a, a persistence and explaining the, you know, that here's what way it's going right. to work. And they're really a forward thinking company. They did some things back in the 70s, 80s, 90s that, I mean, major retailers are struggling with trying to do today. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great, it's a great story. It's a great place to start. Yeah. Um, definitely took about a year of, persistence to get to get a chance there and once they give us a chance we we mm-hmm. execute it so now they're like our family so you started the first company you sunk in hundreds of thousands of your own you scrapped it you started over again in your house correct yep in a house in elkhorn okay wisconsin yep and you just rolled up your sleeves and went to work did you make any money the first year no none no it was it was like well were you, were you feed your kids ramen noodles <laughs> no Worse, uh, we were d- living on savings, and um, you know it, it was like next week, next week, next week. It's gonna happen next week, and oh. then next week came, and it was like one more week. We're so close. So it was, um, 
this is even I don't I don't think we've ever talked about this before. So we actually had a financing arranged. We had capital. And um it was a pretty um exciting time to to have someone that believed in this vision um to that want to take it to you know to the standpoint of making money and and uh funding the company from an idea. And then on the way down to sign the term sheet uh, I realized that the the only client we had had stopped using the system. This is before Rogan's actually. This is before when we were making the the open marketplace concept, you know, the quote unquote eBay for freight that was referenced in the Inc. article. Sure. <clears throat> so we get down. Uh, I start driving down to this appointment. I noticed that no one had logged in for a couple of days, and I started to kind of get worried. But I had to get down to this appointment. So we get down there to sign this term sheet. Um, but I had realized I just got off the call with the client and they said they're too busy to use it. And I said, wow, wait a minute. This is the thing that is going to save your company, not cause you more work. And, and that's when I realized the idea wasn't going to work. Wow. And so I'm sitting at the table and they're like, okay, you're ready to sign. You know, we're going to give you the $2 million. And I said, no, it's over. It's done. It's not going to work. And it was um, a pretty scary time because that was, takes a lot. That takes a lot of guts to uh, to <clears throat> look at something that you poured your your heart, your soul, even your own capital into, and say, "Okay, I've got to stop this right now. I got to stop digging because I'm digging the hole in the wrong spot, and and uh, I got to fill this hole back in and go dig somewhere else." And that, that's basically what you did. Yeah. And instead of saying, "No, I know there's gold below here," you 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 realized that there wasn't. And that you're probably just, it's, it's like the inches from gold story in, uh, you know, that people have explained in the, um, the Napoleon Hill book, for example, Think and Grow Rich, I think he uses it as an example. So you had to start all over again and redig, making a few changes and uh, go through all the pain all over again. Yeah, but at that time when I, when I was there, I mean, if it would have been like an hour and a half drive, I would have still taken the money probably. But my, my good sense kicked in and I said, gosh, this thing's going to fail. It's not going to work. And I don't want my name attached to it. And I'm going to take this, these investors' money because I really need it. And I'm, it's never going to happen. So, you know, that was a very difficult decision. Sure. Um, at a time that I had to sell a car to, to make the ends meet. And so, you know, in, in looking at hind, in hindsight, um, the most difficult thing in life is, uh, is always the right thing. Sure. Otherwise, it wouldn't be difficult, right? Yeah, I mean, the, it's difficult because you don't want to do it. You money, want to do the easy thing. The money's there. It's 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 right there at your <laughs> fingertips, and you had to you had to say this is not the right thing to do. Uh, you know, it was a very obviously very honest uh, decision to to make as well. Where I, I think so many people would have just fooled themselves into thinking they're going down the right path because I mean you're staring seven figures down the barrel at you as an infusion into your idea. And to really to to have the character to walk away from that and start over again is something that a lot of people don't have, but it's also I believe what what's fueled your success this time around. Yeah, and when when I drove back, I mean, I was driving back to nothing, no job, right? Uh, barely able to pay the bills with the remaining savings that were that we had left. You know, I was digging, d- had dug all the way into all my retirement. It was gone and still is. Haven't been able to focus on building that, right? And, um, you know, we're still looking to, to grow the company. But, gosh, that was – it was such a difficult thing going home to two kids that, you know, um, my, I tell my 13-year-old that 
there was times we bought a zoo pass in Milwaukee and there was times that we had to really think about if we could afford gas to go to the zoo. And uh, that was a big decision we had to talk about to buy that. I think it was like 95 bucks, right? Or something. Sure. I mean, this was some tough, tough times, but you know, this is how you learn a problem. This is how you learn your business. And I think the biggest reason why people fail in business, I don't, you know, everyone, every different statistic you read is going to tell you a different number, but is it seven out of 10? Is it nine out of 10? It's that they really don't think and obsess about a problem that they can do better than anybody else. That's the hmm. truth, right? I mean, how often do you see you know, someone saying, I'm going to be like this company. I'm going to be like that company. I can promise you it's not going to work. If we would have taken funding, even with the current path we're on, uh, early on, um, it would never w- have worked. We wouldn't have known our business. We wouldn't have um, you know, learned from our customers, um, you know, learned how we're you know, we learn every day how we're bad, right? Like, how can we get better? Um, we're we're a room for is room for improvement, and we're are things that we need to grow on. And right when we think we have everything figured out, is about time a lesson's coming right around the corner. Sure, slap you in the face, and that's probably applicable to all parts of your life. So you, the new company, you you had to grow organically. <clears throat> yep. And your first couple of years were, were were rough, but they but you had you 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 got your contract, you you got going. So when did this really break through for you? When what what was the aha moment where you're able to take this from point seven to point nine, let's say? And because I know it happened fairly quickly for you. Yeah, once no, it happened. there really wasn't an aha moment. It was more about time it took to build out the product so that it was applicable, like across big companies and small companies. So, you know, when you think about Rogan's, we saw the very narrow pro. Uh, so, uh, well, problem that they had with our solution. We were just executing small parcel labels for them. That was it. Okay. We weren't dealing with freight. We weren't dealing with tracking. We weren't dealing with accounting. Um, we weren't dealing with a lot of things. And now when you start to look at major um, international companies, automakers, this kind of visibility they they have problems with, right? Like they want to see in one place all the parcels that went out, all the freight shipments that went out, all the containers that are coming in. Um, and that takes a lot of time and money to build out. And so we just basically hire developers with every bit of money that we get and we still continue to do it that way. So it's, it's great that there's all these, this, these numbers are big and all this kind of thing. That's awesome. But you know, and it's still hard, hard as you know, can be every day is harder actually. So do you have to do this from scratch with each new company that you onboard? You have to go build out a a system for them? No, no, we've gotten really good about that. I mean, that's one of our, probably the things we're better than anybody at is turning someone on quickly um, we can turn companies on very, um, like in a matter of a couple of days when I know some of the big tier one companies take about a year to turn on a technology project like this. We can do, uh, we, we did a pretty big publicly traded company called, um, John B. Sanfilippo and Sons in Elgin. We did them in less than 30 days. That was uh, pretty difficult and complex. And, what do they do? Uh, Fisher Peanuts. Gotcha. They own Fisher Peanuts. Yeah. Got so, it. Th- yeah. They were, they're great to us as well. And, um, you know, continue to be a great uh, partner to us and pushing in, uh, us in more innovation. And, um, and you know, we, we love to participate with them and partner with them on new ideas they have. Now, how could you apply what you did here to another industry now that, now, now that you've learned how to do this? Well, you know, shipping, shipping is so messy. It's so, it's so ripe for disruption that that's really kind of easy. Um, I think the thing that I see um, that I could apply to other industries is just the idea of becoming a tech entrepreneur. 
Um, I remember at my kitchen table, I was drawing out screens and drawing out um, functionality and ideas going on for years. And what I realized is by the time you get into this thing for whatever you're doing for 90 days, 180 days, whenever, you know, that kind of period, when you're in the trenches, it seems like that is forever from now. Um, you really start to learn your business and you don't, you don't know what you're going to need in 90 days or 180 days. Mm -hmm. So I work with a lot of startups. Um, one, I'm on the board of a really cool one, um, that is, uh, doing a lot in the, um, the social health space. So you want to try to find someone else to help you get on a keto diet together or go play tennis, find someone to play tennis with, or it's a really, really cool app. Um, and he, and the founder of the company is like telling me that he, he wants to do all this engineering and just take this thing to the extreme. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to cut this thing down way back, execute one small thing really well. And then we'll start to expand the offering, right? Like he wants to do a really cool idea. Like you want to see videos about how to use a foam roller or, you know, educational videos and things from doctors about certain preventing injury. That's all great, but you don't start there. You have to start small and build on successes. And that's a really powerful piece that I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss. So the successful entrepreneurs figure out the one thing that they are able to solve, solve the one problem first and build on it instead of taking the solution and trying to make it an all-things-to-all-people solution. Is that, is that a good way of summing up? What yeah, that's, that's a good way, but also you have to build on success. And um, as you start to see that you gain, you're gaining momentum in one area, um, then listen to the customers and what they're, where they're trying to push you to go next. That, that's a big piece. It's a big piece of um, making a successful and sustainable brand. And I think that as customers also, they get really invested in the, in the success of it, right? So... It was their idea, that, that new bell or whistle. It's their idea. So they get really um, evangelical about your brand. That's well, great. anytime you can have your customers be evangelical about <laughs> your brand, that, that's going to bring you to that next level. Obviously, it ends up being a cultural thing, I think, that, that really drives companies once they get going. Tell me a little bit about the culture of your company and why you think that it, it, uh, it has helped with, with the success of the company. Yeah, you know, the... It, it's really amazing the journey and learning um, so much we've learned about employees and about uh, building a team. You know, we kind of hired everyone in the beginning. Um, whoever was willing to come work for us it was kind of the the strategy there. And um, we started to see that you know it's not for everyone. Uh, we just we just lost an employee yesterday or on Friday. It was he was great. I just don't think he liked being the pace and didn't like being pushed. And so. The culture has been a very difficult thing to, to keep an eye on um, amidst all the growth, and it's something that um, I kind of took for granted for a long, long time until we had lots of surprises, um, you know, in people that I thought were happy and weren't happy, weren't listening to them or, or whatever. And so we finally hired a really, really good um, HR person that helped us to, to really keep an ear on the ground with culture. Um, and again, it's not our culture isn't for everyone. It's fast paced. It's it's chaotic. It's it's um, difficult. We expect people to give more than they thought they could. And um, how many people do you have on your in your company now? Um, I think in the in Madison we have uh, close to fifty five. I think fifty four, something like that. And then we have an overseas office, so two, um, one office in Mexico, and office in the Philippines as well. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. that's fantastic.
And uh, now this year was your third year on Inc. On, I'm sorry, not Inc. Fortune's uh, no, top five thousand. It's Inc. It's Inc. Oh, it's Inc. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right, but you also made the uh, got it. Okay, you made the Inc. Five hundred. So, what fueled you to be the uh, top growing company in the country in 2017? Well, I mean, the results number 35 is pretty impressive. Looking historically at the number ones and what they did the following year. Sure. Um, and. I, I mean, we had so much business that we signed too in the in the third and fourth quarter that just didn't turn on. I mean, I would have, I, I had hoped for a better result at the end of the year. Obviously, how does a company uh, like yours get its business? Is it is it still hand to hand selling, like calling on companies and getting them to see the value proposition of what you're adding to them? Is it is it marketing and they're calling you at this point? What what is it that that you're doing to get the attention of? The companies in in the shipping space, companies that need logistics, so that you can solve the problems for them. I think the first things you said were right, calling and, and inbound, but we don't do either of those. It's all word of mouth. Wow. We haven't even started the company yet. I'm the only salesman. I mean, we just we we literally get a new account, we hire an engineer, and and that's been difficult where we're at now to scale that because you know there's times I forget to call people back that want to buy from us. Yeah, that, and that happens in any indus, in any business when you're in a growth mode. I mean, this is much smaller scale, but even you know, even if you're an insurance salesperson or you're a real estate salesperson, which I am, or or anything, you get going with a bunch of projects in the air, and you get a phone call, and if you don't happen to be at the right place at the right time where you can write that down or make sure that you put that yeah. into your calendar, it is easy to let a really good lead on on business fall through the cracks and then you're the, then you're kicking yourself in the rear end later thinking why did i miss that uh, so so it it happens no matter what and, and i've been in, in in what i do for a living for 20 years so and, and it still doesn't get better completely so I, I i can definitely sympathize with that yeah i mean we, we we haven't really wanted to put the money in sales and marketing if inbound traffic's not our problem to this point um most of the business comes from word of mouth, like I said. So um, the product is at a point now where it <clears throat> it really does hit whatever someone's supply chain problem is. It hits it, and it solves it. Now, do you ever see this being scalable down to the lowest level so people that are startups and they're starting a business out of their basement and they're trying to get – they're trying to get supplies to them or they're trying to get their merchandise from point A to point B where they can just jump on and and find the most cost-effective way to do what they're doing as they grow? Or is is this something that is only for high-level players right now? Yeah, right now it's, uh, it is geared toward, you know, that, you know, people shipping more than maybe $20 million a year in shipping costs. Um, our focus right now, our internal discussions are getting a product um, that we can roll out as a separate brand that has the power of the really high-end tier one global solution, but could service someone out of their house for maybe, you know, $100 a month or something like we're calling it a light product. Got it. So kind of playing around with that a little bit because we have all the elements needed for that product. And you have so many small businesses that have no idea how to solve their logistics and they're just not big enough for something like this. And and there's nowhere to turn. I mean, you're going to turn to the wolves for advice, you know. (laughs) The minute you start trusting one is when, is when the, you know, when the challenges come in and companies like us can really focus on showing what is wrong and what, what can be improved. Now, there's been a lot of talk about international companies uh, within the last couple of weeks, especially with the situation going on in China and the tariffs and everything else. And uh, I don't know if you saw in the news that Tim Cook uh, supposedly kind of really impressed upon uh, our current president that uh, – 
it, Apple's going to get hurt specifically because Apple uses China where their competitor Samsung is having most of their stuff manufactured in South Korea. And it, I'm, I'm looking at all this and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, are we too global? Is, is that going to continue to expand? Is there going to be a, a space in business where, where, where companies are going to pull back and be less global because global can be risky when you have to worry about geopolitical concerns? You know, <clears throat> I'm a capitalist first and foremost. However, I mean, it seems like if they've put all their eggs in that basket, it's a gr- kind of greedy, right? It's kind of a it's a it's a poor business decision on Apple's part. And yeah. I, I I feel like if they're losing out because there's geopolitical forces and they put all their their eggs in the communist China basket, well, shame on them. I mean, I always wonder, like, has anyone been up to northern Minnesota or I mean, like northern Wisconsin? I mean, you know, a lot of the paper mills had left. Yeah, so rural Wisconsin towns. I mean, there you know the the prospects for employment are very difficult and it's uh, then it then it becomes a process of erosion right we've got a huge workforce in this country and we're we're, we're not leveraging it instead I, I think everybody's become so global minded that sometimes they forget that some of your best solutions are right there in your backyard yeah i mean our step to um seeing some benefits and economies of scale with maybe lower skilled activities are to leapfrog a couple of different markets right like mexico city is a very um advanced and and forward uh, market that we want to employ people in um, to get some economies of scale. I mean, even but there's even markets all around the country to look at here as well. Michigan has wonderful pockets of opportunities for, for us thinking, thinking about diversifying a little bit. Madison's a tough market. It's a tough employment market. Um, unemployment is good uh, for the employees sure as, you know, sure obviously. finding finding talent has become problematic yeah i mean i you know i have a i have a thought on finding talent you can always find talent right if you can pay for it i mean but then you got to make sure it fits your model and we we certainly find people that are great we pay them you know well and then they get in and um then all of a sudden they leave and more more on the operation side developers are a whole another challenge of course but um develop or the operations people we bring great people in and then you know, all of a sudden they just disappear and uh, they just quit and we don't know why we don't, you know, so it's Madison's tough. Um, You know, Wisconsin's a good economy. It's been, it's challenging. Very interesting. And you have about five minutes. Sure. To break. Sure. 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 Five. Um, Before we go into the break, what are they, what are the three biggest pieces of advice? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you said you'd like to do one thing well, so I'm going to tell you to do three things. How's that? Okay, that sounds What good. are the three biggest pieces of advice you would give to somebody who had <clears throat> what they thought was a, a very strong idea but now wanted to turn it into a reality in the form of, of uh, their own startup company? Yeah, the, uh, the first one for sure is find a problem that no one else is solving and do and, and then you have to be obsessed with that. I mean – if you think you're going to start a company and, and be off on Friday nights or not work on Saturdays and Sundays, you're crazy. I mean, you're the, you're the last to get paid and the first to go to work. I mean, be ready for that. But you have to find a problem that you're going to solve better than anybody and obsessed with that. Um, the second, you start to see little things in, in life with people that you might interact with um, that maybe you don't think is ethical. Um if you surround yourself with bad people or if you, you know, or are tempted to surround yourself with bad people because maybe this salesman has a big book of business or something, but you see him, you know, not tip the waitress or, you know, something like that, get away from them. That's, that's a, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Make sure that you like everything 
about the people that you're doing business with. And there's not many exceptions to that. That's that's a big one. I think far too many people use pragmatism as an excuse uh, for not doing that. It's tempting. I mean, I, I had this wonderful lady I was going to hire. I, I really enjoyed her. And um, when the check came at lunch, she grabbed the check. Yeah. She had her employer that she's currently working at talking about leaving to go and work for me. Her employer paid for it. Oh. I let her. I let her pay for it. But you didn't hire her. <laughs> no, it was over. It's done. Yeah. And so that, that's. Do you a, think she that, knew why? You know, I don't know. I I, I didn't tell her. Um, I didn't think it. Well, it's not. Your, I, it's not it, yeah. yeah. That's not your job to tell her if she can't figure it out for herself. I mean, that's that's probably the way things work in life. You, your your fans will tell you they're your fans, but your critics rarely will tell you that they're your critics. They'll tell everybody else that they are your critics. Yeah. There, there's. Are we are we taking a break? Oh no 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 okay there's two more quick ones I'm gonna yeah, go I'm gonna, yeah, gonna, gonna get to the uh, okay two. I'm, I'm just fascinated I'm kind of kind of quiet over here I'm just fascinated okay. by, you'll by hear, all this you'll hear this mu- is not my you'll game. hear a little music this is, playing this is Ralph's this end. is Ralph's game okay. so I'm just kind of I'm I'm in awe all right, you know right. by by the way but at about two minutes I'll be playing music yeah, I need you guys so so no worries that third one is when you seek advice from someone take it like if you ask someone so often in in life people are like. Hey, do you, should I should I go with the red one or the blue one? And you're like the blue one. They're like, no, nah, I'm gonna do the red one. What did you ask? You don't. <laughs> we all have those people, and, and that leaves us in a little uh, lighter note. And and that's a great point when when you ask for advice, take it. On a lighter note, we all have these people that constantly ask for advice and never take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have an uncle that came up with a really good name for them. They're called assholes because they ask. They yes. ask, but they're a bottomless right. hole of asking you questions. <laughs> and then they'll come back a month later and ask you the same questions when they didn't take the advice right. the first time right. that they asked you from right. them. Yeah, right. so when someone tells you your idea sucks, that's worth a lot. <laughs> take it. Right. Okay, now right. figure out how you make it better. Like. Like encourage people to poke holes in your thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's gonna be when you get that feedback, it's really gonna tell you, you know, where you're at. Sure. You know, because because you're gonna learn right. it in any anyways. And, and you're gonna have to learn to either have a better mm-hmm. idea or a better way of defending your yeah. idea. All you, of our you, competitors, yeah, all of our competitors out there right now have have um, they're, they're fooling themselves and they think they have sustainable businesses in right. some of these space. But that last um, that last piece is when people start to take you down. Competitors, uh, you know, other people, ex employees, um, you know, anyone, you know, you're on the right track. Oh, you know, yes. For, forgive the listeners that went to Purdue, but I kind of, I kind of joke, right? Like, no one hates Purdue in sports, right? right. You know, they're not good enough. Right? To hate. They're, not, they're not good enough to hate, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not. It's kind of I mean, like but, the Chicago Bears. <laughs> we're on the border, Ralph. I don't. I want to drive out of here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, that's the thing. Like when you when people start to take you down and start to to, to badmouth right. you, you're on the right track. Yep, absolutely. Embrace that. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love That's it. It's fantastic. That's Brad good, Hollister. Good stuff, man. Brad good Hollister stuff. from Swan Leap in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you, Brad, for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to seeing your name all over the news as uh, you blow the lid off of this and whatever it is to do next. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Everybody everywhere is in the same black way.
back in the studios of AM 1050 WLIP for Get Real with Ralph. I am your host, Ralph Newey. Listen to little Crosby, Stills, and Nash on this, not only the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, but also the week of uh, David Crosby's birthday earlier this week. So, hey, he's still kicking. He is. He's, uh, he's something else, man. I'll tell you what. You know, such an interesting guy. Yeah, he was uh, he was a real rebel rouser, as they, as they say. Still kind of is. Well, he was born, kind of born with a silver spoon in his mouth. <laughs> his, his dad was very... Uh, very yeah, yeah, I know. Very wealthy, which is nice. Anyways. So in the studio with us, we have um, we have Keith Christofferson. Keith, how are you? Welcome to the program. How are you doing, Rob? Thank you. Good, good. So uh, you've been... Uh, are you a Woodstock fan? What do you, what do you think of the, uh, the the Woodstock Festival 50 years ago? Well, I, you know, if I was around, I could probably comment <laughs> a little more on it. But uh, I was actually in New York a couple weeks ago, so uh, they have a lot of stuff out there. Uh, to celebrate that sure sure but as a musician even though you weren't around then and neither was i uh one can't deny the profound impact that it had on the music scene that that whole genre and that that i that that several days right there i i think did something to the music scene in this country that probably hasn't been done since and definitely set some wheels in motion that that never came back yeah i, I think they never had that big of a crowd before you know, for the very first time. I mean, yep. how many people were there? You know, they were expecting fifty thousand. They got what, how many was it? Was it like six hundred thousand? Yeah, six thousand. You know, six hundred, five hundred. Yeah, know, well, I I think we need to try and do something like that again, though. I mean, look what it did for for everything. It just kind of right went to the wayside after you know mm-hmm. the hoopla, and it just I think it's an important part. Well, Absolutely. part of it, part of it is just the youthful, expensive energy. I really believe that. And yeah, that's uh, part of it. Well, it was it was Vietnam. You know, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was more of a protest than anything. You know, what was what's funny now is everybody thinks that we have so many awful things going on in our mm-hmm. country and so many problems that we can't solve, and people become so polarized, and they get polarized on both sides. I, I think that people that are you know, right-wing minded get radicalized completely off the rails, and people that are left-wing minded get radicalized mm-hmm. off the rails, and and you know that that's why the Steelers' wheel stuck in the middle has been the bumper music since we started the show because I think the rest of us kind of are in the middle of this food fight, watching it all the time. You know, with like some common sense ideas, and some people's ideas are a little more liberal, and some are a little more conservative, but basically just mainstream American folk are getting left behind uh, all the way around by by everybody here. And uh, if we would just take a step back and take a breath, we'd realize that the problems that we need to solve right now aren't any bigger than other than periods in time when we've had some serious crises that we've had mm-hmm. to solve. And this, we're, right. we're, we're up to the task right. if we decide. So, uh, as a musician, Keith, how long how long you been playing? Uh, I've been playing the guitar for just about four years now. About four years. Oh, so yeah, this is a a fairly new passion of this yours. This is well, it's not a new passion. It's an old passion that I kind of dusted off and. Uh, Got back to some of my roots. I've been in music pretty much my whole life, up and through college. Gotcha. And uh, you know, I took that almost degree and just kind of set it set it to the side for a while, and uh, you know, went into the construction business. But you know, I got to a point in my life where I needed some change and I needed to do something different. You know, when you talk about music and the effect it has. I mean, for me, music's a way for me to you know let things go it's mm. a way for me to spread a message it's a way for me to you know say what i want to say it's, sometimes it's, it's therapy it's absolutely it's therapy, therapy. I, I i do some acting and some comedy 
So when I, you know, I did a, a benefit last night, so I'm up on stage and, you know, there's, you know, 60, 70 people. Sure. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're they're reacting. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when you get pulled aside afterwards and, you know, when they tell you, you know, you did a good job, you know, sometimes I, I've had this happen to me actually is uh, I've worked with two other comedians and said, oh, you were great tonight. You were great tonight. And then he got to me and goes, no, you were pretty good, too. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, I was just like, I need to work on my act. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, when, like, you're, that's when you're like, wow, wow. I, I appreciate your honesty. I, you know, you know, it was, but it was true. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like, true. You know, if you, if you really try you hard, you could probably become a comedian like us, Jim. That's what they're telling well, you. Know, no, I that's, that's, that's somebody else was, you know, yeah. a I crowd think that struggle is between ourselves, though. Yeah, I mean, of course. We, you know, that I've noticed going into this, going to open mics and meeting mm-hmm. people and in, in, in music, you know, yeah, there's people that have been doing this nonstop for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I, I looked at it as a learning opportunity to, you know, to, to pick right. up different right. things and whatnot. Fantastic. So well, let's what, jump in with some yeah. music. What, right. are gonna, what are you going to play for us? <laughs> Ironically, it's called The American Dream. Oh, right. I don't know if it's ironically or not, but I wrote this one, uh, I think last fall, October sometime. This morning, peering in the sunrise, said he made another day, wash away the pain and sorrow. Shaking, not from fright. Sat there shaking to keep the light burning, chasing that American dream. Two, three, four Main Street. Little town, USA. That was his dream on his graduation day. His number was called, he was off to fight a war. For a man he'll never meet Chasing that American dream A wife and a kid Waiting on him to come in 
big old grin All that drool on his chin His daddy never saw the sign Daddy went flying right on by Chasing that American dream They gave all they had with what they had known Cost every inch of their soul Chasing that American dream She dropped out of school Took any job Just to make her ends meet Won't you turn five The other is nine And I wonder how she stands on her feet Chasing that American dream Chasing that American dream. Yeah. yeah. Outstanding, man. Wow. Wow. Is that um was that one of the earlier ones you wrote? Is that something um, you've done recently? I wrote this one I think last October, so coming up almost a year ago. Fantastic. Wow. Well, we're gonna have a little more time after the break, uh, right. to to squeeze a couple more songs in there. Uh, but I know that we're gonna be going into the top of the hour break and I wanted to uh, in keeping with the theme, give everybody a little bit of Woodstock, and then we're going to come back with some more Keith Christofferson here on Get Real with Ralph, and then we are going to talk with uh, Kenosha's former mayor, Pat Moran, who was not at Woodstock. Matter of fact, he was on the other side of the pond probably during Woodstock, uh, fighting for his country, but he definitely lived the culture and uh, spent uh, most of his adult years as a history teacher as well. So Outstanding. I think he's going to give us a few Woodstock lessons. On the other side of the break on Get Real with Ralph.
And a little more music from Woodstock on Get Real with Ralph on the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival. We're going to be talking a little more about Woodstock with uh, former Kenosha Mayor Pat Moran. Right now here in the studio, we have our musical guest, Keith Christofferson, who's going to play a little more uh, original music for us as we do every week here on Get Real with Ralph. Take it away, Keith. Right. What are you gonna play what's, for us? Yeah, what's next? This next song here is called "Into the Storm." It's a little more, a uh, little more upbeat. So, upbeat. Let's go. End of the storm. Tell us some of the places that you've been playing out lately. Well, uh, locally up in uh, Kenosha, I, I'm at the Creative Space. Uh, usually every Thursday they have an open jam up there. Very good. Um, Love Steve over there, the Creative Space. Yeah, Steve, great guy. 
glad I met him, Francisco. Uh, mm. Was at the beach today. They had that open mic. Yeah. Uh, and that was nice. Over at the pop-up? Yeah, I ended up getting almost an hour up there. What a, what a great event. I think I, they should I, do that know. every weekend. Okay. They should. You know, every it's, weekend. It's, it, what a great use of that beach. And, that, and, and, and they're redoing the beach house. And they, they is, open it up. The bathrooms are open this yep. weekend. Okay. And the, they're done paving. It's just, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a great way to get away from the things that are yeah. taking us away yeah. from life. Get, and, you know, and get, a little, get a little beach life. I mean, you know, you get, you get that beach up in Racine, which is amazing. Yeah. And they always have, uh, you know, performers out there as well. Sure. Which, which is really great, you know. Let's use it. Yeah, it's it's a great time. I'm a big fan of u- utilizing our lakeshore to its maximum amount when it comes to, to entertainment. It's it's such a beautiful place, and for years we didn't do nearly a good enough job of, mm-hmm. of utilizing it. And it's it's exciting to see that happen right more and more and more as time goes on. Absolutely. What are some of the other uh, any other any other place in Kenosha? What, what do you have What do you have upcoming? Anything? Uh, anything upcoming? Big? I think my next show booked right now is uh, October twelfth at uh, Rustic Road Brewery. Eight okay. o'clock. Um, I got a website. It's Keith A. Christofferson Junior. dot com. Okay. All right. Uh, Great. Is it spelled just on... like Chris Christofferson? No. No. It's totally... no. Okay, he he messed you... that all up. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, What's the spelling of your last uh, name? C H R I S T O P H. E R S E N. Oh, with the C. It. Okay, yeah, okay. Got it. E N. And, and I'll make sure that we have that. Okay. I'll make sure that we have that on the episode guide as well. We have the the Facebook page too. The, nice. The music page. So that, that's so. A, you said October twelfth. October twelfth. But you know we pick up gigs all the time. If, just, if you happen to be on this episode uh, on my Facebook page, uh, you'll see the event that got created with us and Keith and. Uh, on GetRealWithRalph.com, if you're watching the live stream, it's not there now, but when you watch the replay of the live stream tomorrow, we'll also have Keith's information out. Uh, we got time for one more. If uh, you want to oblige us, Keith. What I, are... I would love to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one more here. It's kind of a, I don't know, the genre thing. I, I was talking to the former mayor out there in the, the waiting room um, about the genre. It's just really however it comes out. So I don't know, you know who's in charge of classifying what's what, but. Um, alternative rock country, some blues, folk. Sounds good. What's this called? This one's called uh, Stormy Day in Rockford. Perfect. Stormy day in Rockford And I'm laying miles Down for the man Fever change is blowing strong Pushing me to the light I thought was wrong The sun is rising I'm driving on blue 
thought I was broken, punching that clock every day. Yeah. I don't need this cage or all the pent-up rage. And I'm driving on the blues away. Well, I did my time, drank all the wine, played roulette. Got a fire burning deep down in my soul. These blue eyes ain't crying, no. When that storm is gonna blow, the sun is rising. And I'm driving the blues away. Yeah. Very nice. That that was like a cross between um, Harry Chapin and some hard blues. I mean, it was that. It was, that was refreshing. Who are your uh, influences at all? You know, I've got a lot. Um, right. You know, my hey, heyday was the hair bands. That's mm-hmm. a lot of the influence. But okay. prior to that, you know, I'd, I've always listened to a lot of big band music. I played right. trumpet, so that was mm-hmm. a lot of the music. Um, you got Chris Stapleton. You got Chris Cornell. That guy was a huge influence. Oh, my, my God. Life. Yeah. I you could hear a little bit of that in there. Now that you <laughs> a little it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Just sure. a little. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough one there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? I, he's, but, uh, it's, but, but it's your Chris Cornell. It yeah. is. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's right just, uh, he continues to talk to me through his music. Yeah, and, uh, he's amazing. A, I had actually an opportunity to meet him once. It was years ago. What a what uh, a gift to gentlemen, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's another thing that for another conversation for another day, but. Right, right on. Um, well, you'll have, to, you'll have to come back on the show. And we'll I would love to. to. We'll uh, talk music. I'm going to be releasing this album. I've got, I think, one more I'm going to add to it, and then I'll have my first album done here. So, and that'll be on your website as well. Yeah, gotcha. We gotta gotcha. get caught up on that stuff, but you uh, know, absolutely. Well, uh, shoot out that website again for our listeners. It's uh, Keith A. Christopherson Jr. dot com. Awesome. S e n c h r i Christopher P h spelled out tell it like Christopher right Christopher S e n yeah there it is there it is go check it out or go to um getrealwithralph.com to this episode and we'll have all the links uh, on there and on our Facebook to uh, all of Keith's social media as well as his website where you can find the music Keith thanks a lot again for coming on the show and uh, thank you look much. forward to uh, look forward to having you back absolutely thanks sir.
with a little Santana. Gotta love the live music that uh, came out of that Woodstock uh, Music Festival 50 years ago, about three years before I was born. And uh, in the studio with us, we have former Kenosha Mayor Patrick Moran. Welcome to the program, Pat. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks for coming in. Pat is a uh, Pat is a seasoned historian. Uh, he taught history for many years, as well as uh, being involved in the in the community, uh, owning a bookstore. You probably read half the books in it, uh, and. Um, a Vietnam vet, and I thought it would be great to discuss Woodstock with you because of your vast knowledge of just about all things in, in, in that era and genre. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, what's your favorite, what's your favorite uh, music of, or your favorite artist of that genre, would you say? Well, the Beatles and the Stones. Beatles and the Stones. But they weren't there. Obviously. They weren't? No, they, no. Were, they, were, they were too big for that stuff already. And then Hendrix, of course, who was the highest paid act at Woodstock. $16, I saw that. 16 grand. Yep. Yeah. I, did, I did read that. I, yeah. I read about that. And some like Shanana got paid like 500 bucks or something. Something like that. I think Shanana still gets paid $500 to go to county fairs hey, all over the you country. Know, I yeah. think, hey, they're still getting paid. They are you know, still I'll paid. tell you what, yeah. you know, and, and that's what happens. I mean, they're going to get older. Well, right, you know, and they are. Yeah. I mean, you know, the eras and things, and you know, I'm like in between you guys a bit in age, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's a, it was a different era. Oh, yeah, a di- it was. I, I, I was six years old when when Woodstock. Oh wow! Came out. Yeah. So I do I remember that? No, no I remember the the moon landing. That I remember. Hmm. I used to have a little T-shirt that had the moon landing. Well, I just wow. gotten uh, out of the Marine Corps two months prior to Woodstock. Oh, oh no wow! Kidding. Yeah. So you're like Lieutenant Dan at this point, huh? Well, uh, at least but I with got, both legs. I got out. Yeah. God mm, bless him. Lord, you brave. For sure. Yeah, it was really a, quite a, a crazy time back then. What was like? What was life like for you when you uh, when you first transitioned back to uh, being in the world after after spending some time in Southeast Asia? Well, it was uh, a different world, obviously. Uh, the reason I did go into the Marine Corps, I was so uh, encouraged, like many people of my generation, when John Kennedy was elected president. And then after November uh, 22nd, 1963, when everything went into the toilet, and then the Vietnam War, of course, and uh, Dr. King and the peaceful protest, everything started to transition from Watts with violent protests, Stokey Carmichael, H. Rap Brown, violent protests, terrible riots. Yeah, um, the, 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 uh, the political operatives saw, I really believe they saw an opportunity with these hearts and minds of, of people, and they jumped in and they exploited it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that <clears throat> the initial movement... The initial anti-war movement, the initial sentiment around it was 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 good sentiment. It, you know, and you look at the earlier the earlier uh, youth that were protesting the war weren't protesting the soldiers. They weren't they weren't they weren't as radicalized. Uh, I remember watching the entire ten-part uh, uh, Ken Burns miniseries on, right. on the war, and I, I I can't think of anything that did a better job of really. Painting a clear picture of all aspects of that war, both the reasons for, mm-hmm. the reasons against, the thought process of the people that went, the thought process of the people that, that protested early on. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it really gave me a, a much better appreciation for, you know, a period before I was born, but a period that I was always so fascinated with. Yeah, well, we had this naivete. I mean, you know, you just believed in your leaders and you believed you were right. And 
uh, in retrospect, I mean, the protesters are right. I didn't think about it at the time that way, but uh, sure. uh, it was a bold-faced lie. We all know that today with the Pentagon Papers and Daniel Ellsberg and Johnson's lie at the Gulf of Tonkin, where the Vietnamese Navy attacked uh, two U.S. destroyers in the Gulf of Tonkin with their two bathtubs and a rowboat in Vietnamese waters. It wasn't international waters to get the Tonkin resolution to really conduct war without a declaration of war. Right. It was just uh, reprehensible. There there are just lots of games being played because nobody wanted to look bad. And looking, not looking bad was more important than human lives, unfortunately. And it's really, it was really a sick vanity project when it came down to it after a while. It was. Not the the initial reasons for getting involved. You know, the, the power vacuum that happened there. Uh, and, you know, of course, the, the Vietnamese coming to us saying, hey, we don't want to be a colony of France anymore. You know, you love freedom. You're the United States of America. World War II is over. We've been liberated. And uh, we would like to be a, our own independent country. And, uh, you know, initially we didn't support them. Of course, Ho Chi Minh radic- uh, became radicalized and became a communist. Well, Ho Chi Minh, I mean, in retrospect, I, I look at the Vietnam, uh, Vietnam War and our American Revolution, and it was a role reversal. Now, remember, Ho Chi Minh wanted independence for his country back in 1918 at Versailles. Correct. They turned them down and sent the French back in. Correct. In 1945, the United States, well, after 45, actually. Right, after the war ended. Uh, in 1954, after Dien Bien Phu, there was supposed to be a plebiscite, a vote, to see which way the Vietnamese people wanted to go. We had our puppet, uh, Bao Dai, the king, and then... Uh, uh, President uh, uh, Ziem and his brother-in-law knew, and President Kennedy realized after they were assassinated by the CIA that this was a war that could not be winnable, and he did not want to commit young American men to that conflict. Correct. And after his assassination, Johnson the whole thing really, changed. yeah, Johnson yeah. really just went yeah. off the rails yeah. and got us, got us in so It was a bold-faced lie. And uh, it was, uh, for, well, almost 59,000, 58,000 plus men died in vain for the egos of America, mm. for the egos of uh, some of these hotshot presidents we had that lied to us. When the French got up and out, that should have been our cue. Well, it should have been. They didn't allow the election to take place in 56 because they would have voted for Ho Chi Minh. Right. Ho Chi Minh used communism as a vehicle. He was a nationalist first. Right. He was the only one fighting the Japs in 45. He came to us. Win, Win Sing Kung was his uh, birth name. I yes. believe he became yeah. Ho Chi Minh after he, after he um, committed himself to communism. Right. Uh, and he, he wasn't looking for communism. Communism found him because freedom failed him. Well, America failed him. I believe in my heart that he was a, a Vietnamese nationalist that wanted nationalism for his country turned down in 1918 by Versailles, turned down in 1945 by the United Nations when they put the French back again and had no recourse but to use that as a vehicle to try to get independence for his country, self-determination. What do you think of the word nationalist being used and being thrown around now as if if it's likened to fascism or Nazism when really nationalism in, in, in my mind just means pride of, of your homeland, pride of your country and, and taking care of it? Why, why do you think this word is being turned uh, against America right now? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. The other day I was talking to a fella, and he was talking about uh, 
Richard Nixon when he came into office in 1968 and he talked about peace with honor. And he realized that in order to have that, he had to put uh, pressure on the North Vietnamese through communist China and Russia, detente. So um, Wall Street realized that in order to sell more goods, and I think of Kenosha and Waukegan and Racine and all these industrial cities in the Midwest, that you have to have a larger market with more people buying things. The Chinese had 1.2 billion people. Mao's Red Book of Thought and Communism failed. And we so, just wanted in that. And Nixon and Wall Street cut a deal with the Chinese that we'll help you, we'll partner up, you build it, we buy it, and we split it right down the middle. And corporate nationalists that wanted Americas in Kenosha working at American Motors or the brass to have gainful employment and you know play by the rules, everything you believed in as you grow up in school, uh, they said it's okay to sacrifice one middle-class Americans if we could take four Chinese and make them middle class. That's a trade-off we'll take to get a bitter, bigger economic pie. So Johnson and Nixon, in my view, I think double-crossed America. I would, I would, I would agree completely. And it's and that entire policy of propping up and doing business with China has continued all the way until now. That's right. And so many people, you know, if I if I were China and I was going to write a handbook on how to destroy the United States of America without firing a shot, I think you would see that some of the things in that playbook are things that are happening. I would use disinformation campaigns. I would use the internet. I would, I would try and radicalize people on either side, people on the fringes, so that you can create as much discourse in this country as possible. I would manipulate our currency. I would um, make sure that Americans are so busy focused on nonsensical social issues that they're not paying attention to the fact that we're building our navy bigger, that we're uh, building up our nuclear arsenal, and and within the next five years are poised to uh, usurp. The, uh, the former Soviet Union, uh, you know, the Federation of Russia as the second largest uh, power in the world, and then I would come for the United States and, and, until there, and make sure that I had everything in place so that there wasn't ever a fight. And that's what they're doing. They've got Google working on artificial intelligence well, for I them when they won't even work on artificial intelligence for us because there's so much discourse in our own country that the executives and the employees sitting there working at Google think that somehow they need to be a global company and they've been propagandized to believe that their own country is bad. So nationalism, real nationalism, not, not the nationalism as, as the media is, is trying to make it, but actual pride of country and saying, hey, we need to set our own priorities first. It's it's a really important it's a really important thing that we start to really think about and do, or we're going to lose we're going to lose the greatest country in in, in the history of mankind. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Well, free trade is good. We need free trade. However, it's got to be fair trade. And um, the United States, you know, when you think about Wall Street, we're all tied into Wall Street because of our pensions and our four hundred one ks and our insurance policies, and they put up the capital for things to grow. But they could care less if you make a car, a clarinet, or a computer in Kenosha, Wisconsin. All right. they want to do is to play the float with the cash. And to get a bigger pile of cash, you got to have people that can buy more cell phones and more cars and more refrigerators and more car Jeeps. And China provides that as long as you could raise these people up 
and put them into the middle class. And that was the idea, was we're going to raise their economy to match yes, our economy, the and then we're going to have 1.2 billion consumers. But that's assuming that they're going to play fairly and that well, they're going no, they to don't. ever buy our products, no. which I don't believe they're ever no, going to do. No. So it was a lie. We, we, we were sold yet another lie, right. and this, this lie could be the undoing of us. Yeah. And we really got really to get smart when it comes to that. Now back, back to Woodstock, because yeah, that's what we're talking Woodstock, about. Yeah. So these kids showed up. Yep. They were kids now. I mean, they're grandparents now, but uh, you know, they, they were kids then. They, they showed up to a concert that was supposed to be originally for about 50,000 people. It was about between three and 400,000. Well, I looked at that showed up. It was supposed to be a show that people were paying $17 a ticket for. They never even got the ticketing off the ground. They didn't. $18 for three days, six fifty per day. And they sold 100,000 tickets prior to the concert. Logistically, they didn't have the fences up or the booths up, and there were like a million people that tried to get into that concert. So once so they, it became free, it took on a life of its own. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they came out. Well, it cost them their investment was three point one million, and they came out of it one point eight million. They lost one point three million dollars on that deal initially. They did, but then with the they movie, they made a modest profit from the movie. Right, right, right. right. yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. interesting. You know, so many so many successes were originally failures, and they probably were looking down the barrel of a major failure because they didn't know how to contain their crowds and everything. Yeah. Well, hey, but, it was a very they had twelve cops there on duty for four hundred thousand people, and there were two deaths, and they weren't well violent deaths. You had one guy sleeping under a tractor to stay out of the rain. A guy cops on this tractor and starts it and rolls over the guy and kills him. That sounds like a familiar theme there, Pat. That was like from Vietnam with me with the 6,000-pound mm-hmm. forklift where I yeah. rolled over this Vietnamese head not knowing that he was resting his head behind my tire, and I killed the guy. Oh, my God. And then uh, the other death was uh, a guy that OD'd. There was one births. Some people contend there could have been two or three births. But it was such a peaceful concert when you have all these people crammed in there like, like rats. Could and you do that now, do you think? Uh, absolutely Could we not. have that many people get together? I don't want to be there. Could we have that many <laughs> no, people get together no. and only have five cops and have it be peaceful? No. Well, four months after Woodstock at uh, Elemont, uh, California, where yeah. the Stones were, and the Hells Angels were providing uh, protection for the stage, violence, chaos, where a Hells Angel uh, member allegedly stabbed and murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby Hoffman jumps up on the stage ranting and raving as anti-war protests. Pete Townsend from The Who hit him with his guitar to knock him off the stage during their, their gig at uh, Elma. Wow. But, uh, so which, things spiraled out of control quickly after Woodstock. They really did. Yeah, yeah. It was just horrible. I remember I was in D.C. in the Marine Corps, and I met Robert F. Kennedy in March of 1968. I was taking karate at Re Institute at 2000 L Street Northwest, and Bobby Kennedy had his campaign headquarters on the 20th floor. I'm leaving, and here comes Ethel, pregnant with her 11th child. Oh, my God. I met Robert Kennedy. Unknowingly, I would be the Marine, one of the Marines, standing in his coffin in the rotunda in June after his assassination. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. And I was in the Marine Corps silent drill team in Washington, D.C., as you know, and our initial... Uh, charge to be at that fort eight blocks from the Capitol was to protect the Capitol from foreign invasion and domestic unrest. Well, the only time that we ever had to do that since the War of 1812 and the Civil War, after that, was during the Martin Luther King riot. We were right in the middle of the city, two blocks from the Navy Yard, and when they started to riot, 
in our neighborhood the Friday after King was assassinated, all hell broke loose and we were called out to protect the Capitol building. We were sleeping on air mattresses. We had M60 machine guns mounted on the steps of the Capitol building, patrolling with 40 rounds of ammunition, two gas grenades, and we had M14s at that time, not the 16s. See, that's not... We, we don't have that kind of... We don't have those kind of problems in this country right now, I don't think. Well, I think we're on the verge of it. When you look at the Antifa and the pro-right people and the just utter downright hatred and contempt for one another and the lack of tolerance not to allow people to express their points of view. And that intolerance is getting greater. I'm sorry? That intolerance is getting greater. Oh, it is. And, and now corporate America is involved in the intolerance of not letting people express their view. Well, it's, you it's, know, it's, the, the Googles, the Twitters, the uh, Facebooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of ironic that here we are back to a simpler technology, AM radio, to be able to actually express feelings without being censored or banned because you're getting censored and banned on the Internet. See, we've lost our moral compass. Okay. And if you look at the Constitution of the United States, I think the most important amendment after they delineate all of your rights and your freedoms is the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution, where it talks about that the people's rights are not limited to the prior eight, they're not enumerated just by those, but all other rights of freedoms are endowed to the people, and they have the right to to live. You have to have tolerance, and you have to have respect for your neighbor if he doesn't agree with you. has to break both ways. But those rights are given to us by an intelligent designer, a God, a creator, and the preamble of the of our Declaration of Independence. Same thing. The rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's just through a creator, not by government, that makes laws. And it's the lowest common denominator. These laws and these loopholes that people look for to justify these crazy behaviors. And, and crazy, crazy they are. Yeah. You got people, you know, killing mass amounts of people, uh, just just to make a point. Mm-hmm. And their points aren't being made. Well, look at Kenosha. How could you have two people mm-hmm. with a baby? I don't want the baby anymore. Well, there are agencies where you could take the baby to, and they put the baby in the field to die. They mm-hmm. murdered that <clears throat> two-year-old child. Now, how Thanks. could you, in your heart? I mean, that's the manifestation of evil. What's happened to people today? There's always right. There's always been evil, but. What's, what's different now is that we're seeing more of it, and uh, people are becoming less and less outraged. A uh, little more Woodstock, a little more uh, Pat Moran after this break here, as uh, we talk more about the historic day 50 years ago, uh, the third day, this would have been the third day of the uh, Woodstock concert. You're listening to Get Real with Ralph on AM 1050 WLIP. You know, this is the most outrageous spectacle I've ever witnessed, ever. There's only one thing I wish. I sure got a pee. <laughs> and this ain't nowhere to go. I believe we're going to go up the country a little bit right now.
And we're back in the studios here at AM 1050 WLIP in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Little canned heat going up the country. That's from their live performance at Woodstock 50 years ago. After he complained about not being able to find a good place to take a leak. I imagine that was a pretty big problem there. Nobody could find a place to take a leak. That's an interesting question. Where I mean, in your, his, you know, the history of it, mm-hmm. was there anything documented of uh, the using restroom areas? Or I'm sure it was pretty much just do your business anywhere. Well, I mean, the well, way didn't you see those mudslides people were sliding around in? Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, that's why I don't. But go like to... you said, the numbers it was just astronomical. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they had logistically the porta potties, but not enough to accommodate mm-hmm. the numbers of people that were there. Right. Right. So. Uh, I guess you go back to nature. <laughs> I imagine so. You got to go. You got to go. You can yeah, be there for go. three days. Yeah. And what I like about you know, documentaries, the things I've seen about it, is is uh, how uh, they help each other. It was oh, yeah. it was so much oh, yeah. of love, yep. and that love was yep. there. Oh, it absolutely. And, was. and you can definitely feel that mm-hmm. when you know people looking after each other. You know, don't eat the brown acid, all that type of stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. you know, it was they they were. They were respectable, you know, to, to the farm. They were. Things, yeah, they, they, they were. You, you know, know the, the, one of the worst things that they did, uh, uh, there was an account that um, uh, John Entwistle from The Who said that uh, he went to have a bourbon and Coke and that found out that the ice cubes were spiked even with LSD. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a little, there's a little tripping going on over there, but uh, that was probably the worst of it. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, it's, again... You're Typical de- dead you're, concert. You're dealing 1969. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're yeah. dealing 1969, yeah. and yeah. you know yeah. the whole cultural change and, and things, and and peaceful demonstration. Yes. Yes. You know, right. and I think that's something. If it's if it's going to be said again, we we can't have any violence. We can't have uh, you know. Well, they were all stoned. Of course, there wasn't well, any violence. Well, that's well. Well, you, and they had the munchies. There you go. <laughs> but even that, you know, that with you know people helping them with their foods and stuff. Oh, sure. I mean, all the stores in the nearby town. Oh, was yeah, it was all, it, yeah. probably the most significant rock concert in the history of our country mm-hmm. in terms of, like you said, the peace and the tranquility compared to right what's going on in many yeah, of the events yeah. today. And they had they had PSAs in between every act. Did you know that? No. They had public service no. announcements up no. on the uh, stage in between every act that they had put together originally uh joe cocker performed i want to say they said it was something like eight hours later than he was scheduled to perform because the uh lineup was so backed up Hmm. and uh the second biggest ovation uh gotten at woodstock and i wish you remember the guy's name i looked it up earlier and and i can't remember was the farmer whose land uh um, on max yasker yeah he Hmm. got up there and thanked everybody for being well behaved i'm a farmer yeah, and <laughs> they went as nut, almost as nuts for him as they did for Jimi Hendrix, they said. Mm. Well, Hendrix, actually, he was the last act, and I guess the attendance was not as packed for the last act. So the 400,000 didn't really get to hear mm-hmm. his rendition of the national anthem, which was really quite good. Oh, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll end the show with that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We talked about earlier that we have to sunset with that because that is probably one of the greatest renditions of the national anthem mm-hmm. ever, and at the time it was a a, a bit of uh, it was it was a center of controversy as to whether or not uh, it was respectful of, of of our national anthem to to play it in in the manner that that Jimi Hendrix took the artistic liberty of playing. But I have a a little uh, side story of Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. I had a friend 
I was in a band before I joined the Marine Corps. You never told me you were in a band, Pat. What'd you play? Well, I was a, a vocal. I was the lead singer. And my uh, buddy, the bands in uh, Lake County that were very popular was The Brides, B-R-Y-D-E-S. Okay. And later on, it was Hot Mama Silver. So they would open up for like the Bull Brummels and the Hollies, and mm -hmm. they were quite famous. And uh, being that they knew the people in the Chicago music scene, Hendrix was performing at the Auditorium Theater. And my friend who was a member of this band was there. The Auditorium and, Theater downtown Chicago? Uh, the Auditorium downtown. Gotcha. Before the big mm -hmm. monstrous venues they yeah. played. Yeah. And um, my friend slipped Hendrix some acid. And he said, why don't you guys, after the gig, come to Waukegan and we'll play at the, uh, oh, what was that on uh, Belvedere and uh, Lewis, the Wild, not the Wild Goose maybe, or uh, Dex Card, the guy that used to own LIP. Oh, Dex Card, my first boss. In yeah, yeah, he used to own that club in Waukegan. Oh, I didn't know that. So then after the concert, who shows up at this club, Card's club, was the drummer in Hendrick's band and the other fella. So my buddy goes up to these guys and he says, where's Hendrix? So I don't know, man. Some guy gave him some bad acid. <laughs> he can't make it to the game. Oh, my God. So, uh, but they were quite popular. So you probably would have met Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix. Well, I, I would have. <laughs> Had your friend in Dolce. Yeah. Yeah. But my brains would probably have been fried. <laughs> oh, my God. So did you just jump right into kind of that scene when you came back from the war and you're out oh, of the no, Marines? No, no, no. no, no. When I came back... Um, well, I had to get serious. I was married at that time and hmm. had a kid on the way, or had a kid, actually. And uh, no, that wasn't in the cards. So you went right back to school then? or Went right back to school, right on the GI Bill, yeah. And you ended up teaching for many years I in did, Kenosha, yeah. Kenosha schools. And at the schools, uh, as a result of the Woodstock thing in Vietnam, you had that organization, Vets for Peace, and Nick Angotti, yeah. who was a... Well, I guess a B-list actor that's from Kenosha. Mm -hmm. Nice guy. Oh, yeah. He was a vet. I, uh, I know Nick. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a vet. Mm -hmm. was a very viable part of that uh, Vets for Peace uh, movement Yeah. And that in became, this area. Yeah. Yeah. And that became uh, a, a, a big part of when you were in, in the early years at uh, Ruth or uh, one of the things that you got involved in. Oh, right, right, yeah. right, right. And uh, I imagine that, that you probably connected very well with your students compared to a lot of the other teachers of your day. Well, yeah, I suppose. Uh, I had your aunt in my classes, you know. <laughs> but yeah, we, we did have a good time. So out of all the, uh, out of all the Woodstock artists, mm -hmm. the ones that actually showed up, right? you're going to break one out and uh, just li listen for the sheer enjoyment of listening. Which one would you break out first? Well, there are two, actually. Uh, Crosby, Steele's Nash, and Young, and Sly mm. and the Family Stone. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, Crosby Stills and Nash, Crosby Stills, Nash and Young, whatever you know, whatever whatever uh, version of them that happens to be playing has got to be probably one of my favorite artists of, of that period. Oh, they're wonderful. I have so many of those on my iPhone, and uh, you can just—it's just good music. Oh, it's, it's fabulous music. Yeah. Probably, I would say one of the greatest musical periods in 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 rock and roll in American history. And I would say that kept going all the way up until the electronic music of the 80s really hit and, and, and changed music, I would say, for the worse. Suddenly, you couldn't just, 
You, you couldn't just take your instrument and make it make a sound. You could program a machine right. to do it. Exactly. And I think that that took away a lot of the creativity yeah. of, of people where you just had to get creative. Yeah. You know, same with kids, you know. We, we talk about them using, you know, the electronics for everything compared to, you know, pen and paper or crayons or markers or paints or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain amount of creativity that's gotten taken away from us and gotten replaced by... Artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. But we're not getting artificially more intelligent. We're, we're, we're being artificially dumbed down. I really believe that. What about you, Jimmy? You've got to have a, you gotta have a favorite Being dumbed down? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I've been working on some music here. Um, but anyways, what was your question? I'm sorry. Woodstock. Out of the, all the Woodstock artists, what would you say is your? Uh, would you? What would you say is probably the most profound song to come out I, of Woodstock? I really like Santana. I just, oh, I, I, I'm just a huge Santana fan. Huge. You know, and with Greg Raleigh on, you know, on keys, oh. and, and a very young Neil Schoen from mm. Journey on on mm. guitar. Mm. You know, I thought it was. Uh, I, d- I just love that Latin beat. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, and. Uh, the uh, the venue and where they played it and the look on Carlos's face. Oh, he's playing. Who, oh, yeah. Whom I understand might have been under the influence of of some type of. Oh, mind enhancing. Mind enhancing. Thank you. Thank you. You know, <laughs> you know, because they they play. You know, and 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 you got to take a look at that as you know the one of the greatest songs and different great songs that are out there. We're, we're, we're induced, mm-hmm. you know, and all out of love and, you know, not to get all hippie, but, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it was a, it's a wonderful thing. It was. Yeah. yeah wonderful time. You know, my, my, my first introduction of that genre of music, of culture, of everything, really, really getting it was sitting at home with my family watching The Wonder Years when they used to come Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there, you go. there you go. You know, that yeah. was, you know, my, my, my parents were huge Beatle fans, so I always heard the... When I heard the first time I heard Joe Cocker light up a little help from my friends, oh, yeah. that version of it, I, I was hooked. Yeah. Well, she came in through the bathroom window, his rendition of the Beatles song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All good stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Sly and the Family Stone. There That's why I've, oh, I've, that. I've just been going up and down the soundtrack now, guys. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like uh, trying to find that music underneath. Yeah, it I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's. That was quite a performance. You know, it's, and then that you know, then they bring up Woodstock '94. You oh, know? I know. I mean, you know, it's just yeah, like you know. it's just you know, it's like it's like a classic movie that you just don't make a sequel to. No. You know, you got a classic movie, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, like a John Wayne movie back in the day or something, or you know, what I mean, something that's just you wonderful. You can't. You can't really call that Woodstock. No. 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 Well, the dynamics weren't right. Right. And when they had it, it was probably um, three of the worst years of the war, 67, 68, 69, 68 being mm-hmm. Tet. And, yeah, mm-hmm. we were, uh, we, yeah, we were, yeah. def- we were definitely a torn country at that right. point in time. And in 94, what really did we have to be torn about? The, Ber- the Berlin Wall falling the year before? I mean, really, what was, what was there to really protest in 1994? Well, let's see, 1994. The election of Clinton? Two no, years that, was not, was that, that was a 92 election. Was 92. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm... 94 saying, was, there wasn't uh, that much going wrong in the world. I, I, was, I was serving in 1994, and we, yeah. were at, we were at peace. Yeah. There was really, the economy was decent. Well, the uh, contract with America. That's when the Republicans <laughs> took over the Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Without, I mean, what were you going to protest, Newt Gingrich? Well, later on, of course, the, the shutdown. 
the shutdown. Because they were playing political chicken with... Sure. I mean, like him or dislike him, I mean, Bill Clinton was probably the most skillful politician that's come I would down say so. Lot. He was skillful. I mean, the There's... way he could manipulate... He was like a man politically playing with boys, quite frankly. And uh, the guy knew how to play the game. Well, apparently he played with girls on the Epstein Express, though. Well, there's a lot of fan- a lot of people went through there. This investigation is going to be interesting. That's another well, that's he, another Clinton time of was a product of the the 60s. Yep, he was. Yes, he was. A, Most definitely. Yeah, hippie. free free love and all that. Yeah, I mean. Well, I guess uh, <laughs> if it works for well, him, I mean, who might well, say? You know, I could never get Hillary to go along with it, so I just did it anyway. <laughs> that's yeah. not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Very good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, Billy you know, Bob. My, my friends call me Bubba. We yeah. got to be able to do you, Marlon Brando. That's what we do. You know, that would be a funny skit. It would be the Godfather and Bill Clinton, like, together in the same... Uh, so you come to me, and my daughter's bleeding. You know, oh, that's, that's very good. That's a fever. Yeah. God, yeah. Godfather, Godfather, can you do me a favor? You know, what do you maybe want? let it loose a little bit. Saluto, cara mia, cari amicia, you paisan. I'll work on that for next week. Okay. <laughs> I'll work on that for next week. Uh-oh, pants breaking out of the Italian. Well, a little bit. Oh, yeah, little, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have enough time in the hour. We're coming down in five minutes here, so. We're coming down in five minutes, and I just want to enjoy some of the greatest music ever played in front of people live. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily would want to go to something like that oh, now. Not now. I would have went when if, I was twenty. If I could get oh, hel- yeah. if I can get helicoptered in, and just brought right to my seat. Oh. Well, that would be. Well, uh, that then would, I'll go. That would make you the headliner. Yeah. Yeah. I can dream. Mm-hmm. One can dream. Actually, believe it or not, the Woodstock movie, I own it on Amazon Prime, and it's one of the things that I put on when I'm tired and I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, not that it's boring, but because no, it's no. kind of soothing and the crowd and all and that. You got music. You, you got, got the music. You, you, you got fumble, the crowd you, noise. You can feel the crowd. Ooh. You can feel the crowd. And I just kind of drift off into, drift off to sleep uh, watching every once in a while. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. After a nice blunt. <laughs> that's, that's blunt talk. That's some... Being very blunt. Yeah, there. I try to be blunt with people, you know. There you go. There you are. How about you, Pat? What's your what's your what's your go to when you need to get a little sleep? Well, um, right now I guess it would be my uh, CBD oil. Gotcha. Sleep like a baby. Rub it on the back of your knees, I hear, right? Or under your tongue with the. Under your tongue. Yeah, with the. You take it and you you got that. Uh, well, what am I trying to say? Yeah, you're trying to say it, but you, yeah. you take a little, 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 little Mr. Miranda's eye dropper. Drop 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 yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I'm oh. with you. We're right yeah, back to yeah. the acid now, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh no. Pat's talking with his hands on the radio. Oh yeah, well I'm Italian. There it is. You're the reason. I'm only a quarter Italian. I, just a few fingers. <laughs> you know, when, when I'm talking. I'm Southern Mediterranean Irish, I guess you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a roaming Catholic. <laughs> roaming Catholic. Roaming. A roaming Catholic. Yeah. That's an old uh, Jackie Gleason. Yeah. He's a Roman Catholic. Well, we're going to wind well, things up here, folks. Uh, part of that generation as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's profound how it affected. Like, you look at your generation, then you look at the generation before and the generation after. And uh, I would say the generation after, probably in, in a lot of ways, you know, identify with their grandparents. I mean, what do they say? Why did grandparents and grandkids get along? Common enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, I think both generations probably looked at your generation like you were all little nuts for oh, for a probably. while. Yeah. But the more time goes on, the more we realize a lot of it wasn't nuts. No, it wasn't. 
Well, Pat Moran, great having you in here again. Your first time was when we were doing just the podcast version of this, oh, and uh, yeah. but uh, I figured this this was going to be your wheelhouse, so we had to have you on, and we're yeah. going to sail De- off. Definitely come back. Definitely come back. Yeah. In the meantime, we're going to sail off into the sunset of the 50th reunion of Woodstock with the national anthem, little oh, Jimi Hendrix. I'm Ralph Nudie, and you're listening to Get Real with Ralph. <laughs>